Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, episode 15. In this episode, I'm very, very honored to receive Ren Fishkin, who is the marketing guru of uh, Moz. If you don't know what Moz is, Moz is the biggest inbound marketing software out there, along with HubSpot. And Ren has also been a very big inspiration for Mark and I. He was the one that made us understand that you didn't need to do gray hat SEO and to you know, hack your way through platforms to make an online business work. Back in the day, we were very gray hat, Mark and I, and because we kept watching Ren's videos of uh, Moz called Whiteboard Friday, we started realizing that there was ways to do proper marketing, gain visibility without cheating the system and doing it long term. And you know, to some extent, Ren is very much responsible for the business direction that Mark and I took and the reason why we're building authority sites and long-term properties these days. Now, Rand is a very popular guy on the internet and in this industry. And for that reason, there are hundreds of interviews of him all around the internet. So I wanted to do something a little bit different in this podcast. So in this podcast, Rand and I are hypothetically going into business together. And our business idea is that we are creating an online e-commerce that's curating the work of several very talented local designers that don't necessarily know much about the internet and don't know how to sell their creations online. So we are these guys. And we have amazing pieces of men's fashion clothing to sell on our website. Now, because that website is starting on a low budget, because my mom funded it with a couple of thousand dollars, we can't really you know, play around with what the other big e-commerce store do, such as like PPC and so on. We do not have the budget for that. So the one solution for us to gain visibility is to use content marketing to create something exceptional and gain recognition in that market. And that podcast is Rand and I brainstorming how we're going to do that through a big piece of content. The whole thing is how we go from finding the idea, validating it, creating it, promoting it, and converting with it. That's exactly what you would get in this interview. Now, Ren has been sharing all his tips and secrets in this podcast, and I've taken them and created a very nice PDF that gives you a step-by-step process that Ren recommends you go through to create your own big content. And you can download it on authorityhacker.com slash Rand, R-A-N-D. Now, I'll let you listen to the interview, and I'll talk to you at the end. Hey guys, today we got Ren Fishkin from Moz.com. Moz is like one of the biggest SEO software that was ever created. And what I really like about Moz is that Ren started it as a blog and, and slowly grew into an authority and in turn turned it into a software company that now has hundreds of people. So that's clearly an inspiration for anyone that wants to create authority sites. So Ren, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Do you want to give two words of introduction about Moz? <laughs> no, no, that's great. I, I appreciate it, Gil. That was a very kind introduction. Cool. So in today's interview, we're going to do something a little bit different, and that's the first time I do it, so I can't promise it's not going to go crazy. But the idea is that I want to get experts to share very practical knowledge, 
And rather than like just asking you what's working in Google and all that stuff, which you write a lot about, and I'm going to be linking to all of that if people want to check it out, we are going to go in business together, Ren. We're going to go and create a website that curates local designers for men clothing that, you know, are not necessarily very good at the internet or not very good at, you know, showcasing their products, etc. So we can take our experience of the internet and take these amazing local talents and basically create a nice curated e-commerce store. I think that would work quite well. But the thing is, we just started. We have a pretty low budget. We're bootstrapped. You know, it's like my mom funded us and she gave us a couple of thousand dollars. So, so we've got to find a way to, to gain some exposure in that pretty competitive industry. Since you're really good at doing content and gaining exposure through content, I thought we, we could start by creating a beginner's guide to men fashion where, you know, people that are dressing not really like caring about their fashion but should can go and basically spend less than a thousand dollars. And, you know, go from being a dog to being James Bond uh, by, by dressing up properly. And obviously, I've done a little bit of keyword research for that as well. Men fashion, 27,000. Men's fashion, 20, uh, 74,000, sorry. And a bunch of other long-tail keywords. So if we could create like a really, really nice guide, I think we could gain some exposure for our store. What do you think? I think it might work. But I would want to validate that idea, at least the, the idea of a guide. Okay. Uh, as being the best possible content investment we could make. And I'm not, I'm not 100% sure or 100% sold that it would be the case. So how would we go about validating that then? So I do a bunch of things first, right? First, I'd go look at all of the other kind of guides to men's fashion that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I would want to look at everything that's gone popular on social networks. So I'd probably go check out BuzzSumo and I'd search for men's fashion and men's clothing and that kind of stuff. And I could look back over the last year or two I'd go to Google and I would search for men's fashion, men's fashion guide, beginner's guide to fashion for men, all that kind of stuff. I would try and assemble all the resources that have achieved some degree of success or notoriety or visibility on the web. And then I would ask myself, am I confident that we could make something 10 times better? Mm. So, so you would be just looking at the quality of the content and the other metric you would be looking at? Yeah, I'd be looking to see if these things got shared, if these things actually started ranking well. If, you know, one of the things that would be one of my concerns is that are people who are searching for men's fashion, are they actually looking for a guide to men's fashion? Is that what they're searching for? Or are they searching for specific clothing? Are they searching for styles? Do they want to see brands? Are they only going to buy from brands that they already know? And so we need to rethink how we're approaching this problem, rethink our keyword set, those kinds of things. I would probably actually conduct some interviews, right? So I would go talk to guys who have recently made fashion purchases, and I could find those by looking at things that people have tweeted or things that people have posted publicly on the web and reaching out to them one-to-one. We could probably do some uh, user interviews through our designers, right? So we've got a collection of designers who make stuff for men. We could go talk to some of their customers, their best customers, their newest customers, people who bought from them but had never bought from a fashion designer before, that kind of stuff, and and really get a sense of this industry and field and whether we are solving a true pain point with that guide. Because if we're not, I I don't want to invest the effort in it. Cool. I think that's a good point, actually. A lot of people go about creating content and then they're like, oh, just launching it and like nothing happens. 
yeah. and they've wasted a lot of resources. So actually, like running full of companies, I feel that's like the biggest mistake, and that happens quite often to just launch content that doesn't work. So how long would you spend on that? Just basically until you validate it, or, or like like when are you like? Well, deciding? so this is another thing, right? I would try and understand the space and the problem before I come up with a solution that I want to validate. Mm -hmm. I think that's another problem that a lot of companies make, not just, uh, not just marketers, by the way, this is a, t a ton of people are like, I want to make this product. So I'm going to go find and search out the problem that needs my solution. And that's a terrible way to go about things. Most of the time, a very terrible way to go about things, right? A great way to go about things is what's the problem. What's the best way I could possibly solve it. A bad way to go about things is, here's a solution I've already come up with. Now, what problem does it solve? Cool. So that's very I, much a lean startup-oriented thinking, actually, where, yeah. <laughs> where, you, yeah. where you basically try to value the idea with the minimum viable solution that you could actually look at what other people did, you know? Yeah, and I'm not a fan of the minimum part of it. Like, yeah. I like exceptional validated uh, okay. uh, viable solution, but I really like the process of saying, I'm going to go look for problems to solve, not solutions in search of a problem so we would go on interview designers etc if you wanted to just go online imagine that like i don't know imagine that the person doesn't necessarily have access to the designers customers or something it's, it's maybe a relationship that's not that strong would we go somewhere online to find that validation yeah i mean there's a couple of really cool ways to go about this so one is explicit and one is implicit so implicit is kind of searching the social web looking at forums mm -hmm. looking at the comments on men's fashion sites and from you know people who are already contributing and talking about that world especially people who are just getting into it or maybe people on in ancillary worlds around it right so looking at things like subreddits that might relate to where men have particular interests that aren't necessarily about fashion but that where fashion sometimes comes up as a discussion or what people are wearing sometimes comes up as a discussion. I would also probably use, on the explicit side of that, I would potentially think about using Google Consumer Surveys or SurveyMonkey Audience, mm. right, as a way to basically say, hey, I want to get men between age 22 and 40 who make, you know, between X and Y amount of money and live in this geography and show this initial question to them. And then if they answer, take them through this and I pay, you know, $2 per response and I'm willing to get 500 responses and pay a thousand bucks. And now I've got this great validated, explicit consumer research. So like I'm talking in terms of like a bootstrap company, a lot of people would be quite afraid in spending in that research because they'd be like, oh, there's no money left for content. And then you mentioned like a thousand bucks or something like for bootstrap company or like for small website owners, this is quite a lot. Like, is it worth spending that much money? Or like, how do you balance your budget in that kind of stuff, you know? I would say that, yes, it is. But certainly, I bet you could find a statistically valid sample size that only needed like 95 responses. Mm -hmm. And you're only paying $1.30 per response. So, you know, maybe you could get a lot closer to a $200 or $150 budget and still have something worthwhile. But, you know, it depends on how confident you want to be in... Yeah your market research and how much you care about getting that right. Because to my mind, the problem is not the cost of creating the content. It, I'm a content creator. So as far as I'm concerned, the only thing that goes into content creation is my time and energy. Mm -hmm. As far as getting that right, making sure that I don't waste all that time and energy, that's where I'm going to go and apply dollars. 
right? And to me, amplification, that is also something where I'm very skilled in doing that without having to pay money, right? So I don't need content distribution networks. I don't need to pay per click. I feel confident in my inbound marketing skills. So really, the thing that I'm not confident in is, especially in a space I don't know, like men's fashion, what's the market problem? Who is out there that's going to care about this? What will be the solution where if we can make a really good one of these, everyone and their dog is going to love it? Like it will be amplified all over the place. And you can do that totally for free, too, if you're willing to spend a lot of time building relationships. So you say, okay, you don't have access to the designers. Go build relationships on social media, in forums, over email, through LinkedIn, through having conversations with these people, getting on the phone with them, starting a blog, interviewing them. Like there are a hundred ways to skin that cat. You know, you can be as as creative, as high budget, as low budget as you want to be. But I think you need to validate those things before you go out and say, I'm going to make piece of content X or pieces of content A through Z. And would you do that for all your content or only big content? I would do that initially. I would only do that for big content because I think small content, the ideas that you learn as you go, mm-hmm. right? With smaller content, with, with blog posts or an individual graphic or a little video you might make or whatever, you're trying to use your intuition and all the things you're learning and kind of rapidly iterate. So, you, you know, I write a blog post. It really resonates. I write five more. They go nowhere. Well, what, what was the difference with that one? And over time, I want to figure out How do I get more of those resonating posts and fewer of the non-resonating ones? Cool. Let's say that we validated the idea that you know, people are kind of interested in that, but we don't really know exactly what to put in there yet. Although I imagine if we went through a validation process, we'd already have a little bit of an idea of what to put in there yet. Like, is that the only way you go about finding out what to put inside? Or like, how do you decide what's inside the guide, you know? I think the validation is, is one part of it, but a second part of it for sure is coming up with some great ideas and then sharing those with people who you hope will help you amplify this, right? People who have a reason to want to amplify this. And hopefully, you know, for us, that's people like our designers who have a vested interest in it. And it's people who blog in the men's fashion space who believe that by sharing this, they can get lots of you know, new social followers and retweets and amplification of their own and those kinds of things and be seen as thought leaders for sharing this unique piece of content that came out of nowhere from these two guys who've never been in fashion before. I think that that outreach process, right, connecting with influencers, and I wouldn't recommend that we start with the biggest influencers in the field because they're just not going to talk to us. Yeah, We want to find small niche influencers, people who you know, are flattered that we thought of them, people who really care about the problem, people who are also relatively early stage, but have, you know, at least small to medium-sized audiences, that kind of stuff. And we want to validate our ideas of what goes into the guide with that. So we say, hey, we ran this survey. We talked to all these folks. They said they'd love this. We're planning on building it. Here's our outline. Would you be willing to contribute X? And could you tell us what stuff are we missing from this? Uh, that can do really remarkable things for you as well. So is that the only way, like, since we're, like, essentially there are other guides out there, and, you know, if you want to get the attention, like, the content world says we need to be better, like, how do we make sure we become better then? You make sure you're better by, I want to call it the look in the eyes metric. And this is if you sit down for coffee with an influencer in the field or with someone who's in this world at all, and you start telling them your idea 
and their eyes light up, right? They start looking at you. They're not paying attention to their phone anymore. They are completely engaged in what you're saying and they're jumping in and being like, yeah, and you could do this. Yeah. And what about that? Oh my gosh. And what about this? Then you're on to something. And if, if you don't get that response, you've either chosen the wrong person or more likely you're not building something that great. Okay. Another question to just get back to a previous one, actually, is like, you said like, you know, let's talk to these people and, and get their input, etc. What if, you know, I outreached and nobody gets back to me? Like, how do I get people's attention when it's in an industry where it's hard to, to get people's attention, you know? It is. I think my experience has been that you can, so long as your message is interesting, so long as you are approaching them in a credible, thoughtful and empathetic way. And so long as you are reaching out to the right people. I've never seen a case where you get no response, you know, hey, we have 100 people that we targeted. They're all, you know, small to mid-sized influencers in the men's fashion world. They're all people who care deeply about local clothing and say they do and local designers. And we are helping those people exactly. And we reached out to these 100 people and not one responded. Like, that means your email sucked. You know, <laughs> okay. you know you're coming across terribly. So I, I think when you do that, if you go about that process right, you might have to fear that only 30 out of 100 got back to you, but you don't have to fear that zero will. Yeah, that's my experience as well. I've done a lot of outreach in the past, uh, but a lot of people are very afraid. Like before they even try, they're like, oh, but nobody's going to get back to me before they send the first email. So I think it's important to ask that question. Yeah, and you've got to have, you know, you've got to have in mind some true empathy, right? So you need to be thinking to yourself, what is it that I am providing this, this influencer, this person with? Like, how am I helping their career? How am I making them better? And hopefully the answer is, I'm going to include them in this guide. That's going to help their SEO by giving them a link. That's going to help their social by mentioning them in there. That's going to help their amplification because when they share this thing out there, you know, it's not like the big fashion bloggers are picking it up and writing about it. So they'll have this kind of exclusive thing to their audience and be seen as more credible Hopefully you're helping them by giving them information and insight that they didn't have before because you've done this cool research that you can share with them. You know, hopefully you are helping them to accomplish their own goals because they are also passionate about local, you know, men's fashion design. And that's exactly who you're helping. So you've got to find all those angles and intersects of shared values and goals. Yeah, you've got to give something yeah, if you can't identify those, you got the wrong influencers. Yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, so let's say we have, you know, not necessarily a lot of designers, but like five of them accepted to like, you know, review our stuff. And we've created a page in WordPress with a password protected so we can update it and send it to them and we get that feedback. Now, we need to create that guide, right? And that's, that's the, the big part. And neither you or I experts in men's fashion. How do we go about creating that content? Do we try to figure it out ourselves? Do we get help from outsourced people or do we try to write it ourselves with the help of outsourced people? How would we go about tackling that industry when, you know, we're, we're amateurs, we like it, but we're not, you know, authorities? I think before we, as we've gone through the whole process up to this point, hopefully we have become more knowledgeable than 95% of the general population and more knowledgeable than 50% of even a lot of people in the field, at least about this specific problem or issue or guide that we're creating. And so because we now have that knowledge, we're in a unique place and we should be the ones creating that content. I would not try and outsource that 
I would do this, however. I would say, hey, Gail, maybe you're a terrible writer, but a phenomenal illustrator. And I happen to be a terribly bad at visuals, but it turns out I'm a good writer. We should leverage those two strengths. You illustrate, I'll write. You're going to make comics. You're going to make some embeddable graphics. You're going to make some diagrams. You're going to make some fun charts that show, you know, the asymptote of where it no longer pays to spend more money on jeans than, you know, a certain dollar amount because you can always get plenty good jeans at $85 or whatever it is. Like you're going to illustrate that. That'd be sick. Like that, that would be amazing. <laughs> I want to read that guy. Like I want to see exactly how many dollars I should spend on jeans and how much I should never spend more than because it just isn't worth it and I'm not getting any better jeans than that. That illustration is going to really help us. And then my writing style is going to work better than your writing style. Or maybe neither of us are good at writing, but we're both great at video. And so you know what? This is going to be a video and visuals guide. Or you know what we're good at? We're actually, it turns out both of us are programmers by background. We're great at front end design and we have a bunch of interactive libraries that we've worked with over the years. And so we're going to make this an entirely interactive graphic data driven presentation, right? We're going to collect all of the details of how much you'll pay by brand across, you know, the 50 major fashion websites and then compare that to local small designers and you're going to be able to see what you get at Macy's and Nordstrom's and JCPenney and Ross and like all these things versus local designers and how much you'll pay at those stores for similar comparative brands. And holy shit, that sounds amazing too. I'm so, wondering if that if that just that burst of excitement you just had was that looking the eye validation thing. That's know? exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you want. Exactly. Well, cool. Right? That's- You've got to find that in other people. You've got to be able to tell them that story and then they go, oh my God, yeah, I do this, <laughs> this, this. Cool. So you want to leverage the, the, the strength of the team mainly and, and you're not really into bringing anyone else in the process, right? What's your stance on like outsourcing content and so on? Because a lot of people are trying to do that. I mean, I, I can understand why some folks are doing that, right? I think if you say to yourself, hey, we really think there's a tremendous opportunity here to have a set of visuals that we want to add, but neither of us have the skills and we think it's really going to resonate. Let's hire an artist to do a few graphics for us. I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. But what I think is less okay is, hey, we have this idea for the content. We're going to like kind of make a rough outline and a couple sketches and then hand it off to an outsourced team who's going to build it. When you're early stage and, you know, you said we couldn't even afford $500 for market research. So, wow, no way am I passing that off to anybody else. Fair enough. I was going to raise it. I was going to counter with, uh, hey, isn't aren't, like other people creating the content for most right now? But I guess you guys are on a different scale. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. And we have very different mechanics around that. So yeah. we we very rarely pay people outside the company to create content, right? They're kind of donating the content in exchange for the audience and the amplification. Okay, that makes sense. Cool. So any kind of like SEO snippets and stuff like that when you think about about that content as well? Like any kind of like technicalities we need to think about that page before we get on like all crazy as well? Yeah, I think absolutely right. So we'd probably try and take our keyword research document, put it all together, align it with what we've decided the guide is going to be about and what it's going to focus on and determine the best keywords for sort of the the title and the headline of the pieces and maybe the individual sections if those are going to be separate pages versus all in one. And then 
we're going to figure out, we're going to want to place it on our main domain in a subfolder, not on a subdomain, not on a separate microsite, right? So that we benefit the whole domain with the, with the content that's being created. And sort of you get that rising tide lifts all ships phenomenon. We're also going to want to make sure to the best of our ability that we have some way that we know this piece of content we're going to produce and invest so much energy in has a way to produce, to get links to it. And that could be that individual visual elements have some citation back or they're easily embeddable in content. That could be that, you know, we give all the people who contributed to the project a snippet that they can put on their website, or we know that a lot of our designers or a lot of these bloggers who are going to link to it will do that for us, whatever it is. But we're going to want to make sure that not only is it link worthy, but link likely. Yeah, it's uh, just easy for people to just grab the, the, the code and put it on their site, basically. Yeah, that's right. So that's like the, the simplest version of it. And I think there's there's much more extensible and advanced versions of that that we could consider depending on the type of content we're creating and who we're reaching with it. Okay. Do you think it's worth targeting different keywords for different subsections for that kind of content? Or, or should we just we take it as like one main keyword? Yeah, no, I would I would say it's probably... Depending on how big the guide is and if it's, you know, multiple individual pages and people can access those pages at different URLs, I would say it's probably worth going after multiple keywords because each of those sections can earn links by themselves. All of those keywords should relate in kind of a topic modeling fashion back to the primary topic. And so all the links and, and ranking signals and user and usage data and amplification signals and, and search signals, you know, search volume signals, all that kind of stuff is going to help all of the content potentially rank well. And so we should target a wide group of keywords that is still highly relevant to what we're producing. You know, we want to make sure that any keyword we're targeting, we feel confident that we would, if our page ranked on page one, it would be the best result a user could possibly find for that query. So in the light of that, should we break it down in several pages or make just a giant page all in one page? It really depends. I personally am a fan of breaking it up into multiple pages because I, I think that scrolling, you know, very, very long page can work well in some formats, but it can be really frustrating for more informational or educational or topical guide stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, someone might want to like get to our men's fashion guide and then be like, hey, I remember that they wrote something great about neckties and bow ties. Like, that's what I want to read. And so I want to click the neckwear section and go straight to that. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, probably in terms of like internal linking, that makes it a lot easier to like from your blog post, etc., link to specific sections of it, and in totally. turn, in turn, like increase it's, the page rank. You know, yeah, it's a good user experience thing, right? It's like you you want people to be able to navigate to the thing they're interested in and passionate about, and the problem they want to solve as quickly as possible, mm. not sort of force them to go through the whole document just to find one thing. Cool, that makes sense as well. Okay, so. Look, we've just spent like three sleepless nights producing that content. We hate it at this point, you know, <laughs> and we're about to press the publish button. But is there anything that we need to do before we press that publish button? How do we make sure we get some traction as we launch? Is there some people we should talk to, etc.? What should we do? Yeah, so all of these people who've contributed to us, right, who've helped us with ideas, who we've gotten feedback from, all the designers we talk to, the influencers we talk to, the potential customers, we should give them that like sneak heads up, right? Like, hey, tomorrow this thing is launching. Is it cool if I shoot you any or, you know, as we've talked to them along the way, even better, it would be like, hey, thanks so much for contributing. 
Gail and I are launching this thing on, you know, March 1st. Is it cool if I send you an email on February 28th saying, heads up, this is coming out and, you know, and ask you to share it across your networks. And if you wouldn't be comfortable sharing it across your networks, please tell us why. Mm. Like that's huge feedback. That's like super powerful when someone says, ah, I don't think I'd share this. And you can find out why they wouldn't. That's awesome. Yeah, because like a lot of people would just be very nice and friendly initially. And then when you ask them to take action, they'd be like, eh, I'm not so sure about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so I guess that's when you get the final resistance when, when you actually, I guess like people, like you need to match their standard at this point for them to do it. Otherwise they won't, right? Right. And I think one, you know, one of the easier ways around that problem is to make sure that you are providing them with something when they amplify it, right? That you're, you're creating a a reason, a, a goal for them that is also being served by the amplification of the content, right? Is It's either they look good or they're going to get more followers or their own interests are being served because you're selling their work on the site or you're citing them. So if this gets picked up well, it will, you know, help their SEO because of the link value, whatever it is, right? Like you want to find all those different points where you're providing value to them and provide that, you know, very empathetic experience because then it, it should be obvious to someone why they should share. Yeah. Okay. So like, it's probably worse like going at them, like if they're a bit resistant or something, would it be worse going at them and be like, Hey, we can feature you in our next newsletter. If you share, obviously the, the content has to be good and stuff, but like just basically like offering like counter value for, for them sharing it around. Like, should we make deals like that? I would not personally, I think you can, right? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell someone like never, ever do that. That's terrible. I wouldn't personally. Okay. Right. I would, I would always try and get it the other way. And if somebody says no, I'd rather move on to more targets and try and make them happy. Okay. That's your personal limit. Yeah. Okay. Anything we should do about social media to tease the content? Like, like, can we make a teasing campaign or something? Just warm fans up and so on. You can. I think social is tough on the on the teaser campaign stuff, right? Yeah, I haven't seen that work very well for anything other than like a movie or video game trailer. Fair enough. Right? Yeah. There's just not a lot of teaser content that works well on social. I think people want the message. They don't want a tease for the eventual message because social, you're so used to just scanning through and only clicking on the things that you really deeply care about. Mm. So I think I wouldn't necessarily go that route. What I would do is I would definitely be using social for the weeks and months up to the time period when we publish it to build up a great network, right? Interact with people, connect with them, chat with them, respond to their postings on those networks, build some engagement and also share their stuff, right? So if you have been awesome to this niche blogger in men's fashion and you've been sharing his stuff, one post of his every a week or two for the last six weeks, he's probably going to be like, dude, you guys are awesome. Like, thank you so much for always saying nice stuff about my work. And it's clear that you actually read and subscribe to my blog because you only share the ones that you really like. You're not just sharing everything to try and, you know, get my good graces. And you've left some comments on his site and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now you have a relationship. That's another good reason why when you ask for a share, you're going to get it. Yeah. So basically give to the industry before you ask anything. Oh my God, yes. Okay. I like in, in my case, it was one of those like, before I ever asked anyone to subscribe to our software, granted, I didn't know we were going to make software, right? But I was hopefully blogging and giving back for like five years. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know I was reading it back then, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, but like that's something I try to tell people. It's like you know the link building outreach, etc. Like you know when people just email you out of the blue and first thing they ask is a link, you know chances are pretty low. Whereas like if you build like a campaign where you're gonna be like start commenting on their site, start resharing their stuff, start like maybe even just an email to say hi or whatever, and then ask for a link like. A couple of weeks later, then your link acquisition rate is much, much higher. And that's very important, especially in niches where there's very few link prospects. Yeah, I think that's certainly one way to go. I like it almost even better when it's more natural than that. Mm. Yeah. When intention is not, hey, I should build a campaign to create a relationship with this person so that eventually I can get a link from them. But rather, what can I do to help them? Because nothing. Like, just because. Because I want to help them. Because helping them is a good thing. And if they give back to me, awesome. That's great. That's fantastic. And if they don't, I don't care. I still help them. That was my my entire goal was to help them. And if you do that for a lot of people, you will find it comes back to you. It might take time, but it'll come back to you. I absolutely agree. Uh, it's just like when you do it for someone else, like another company, or you hire as a consultant, etc. It's not necessarily the easiest thing to sell to the CEO, you know? <laughs> no argument, but... It works way better. I agree. I agree. It's just like sometimes you, like, you need to play with both, you know? I like things that don't sell well to see. <laughs> I really do because those are competitive advantages. Things that anyone can sell to a CEO or to a client or, you know, that like everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, that's a gimme. Of course we should do that. If it's obvious, then it's not a competitive advantage. Mm. It's only the weird, serendipitous, hard to prove out, hard to show ROI. Why would you invest so much effort in that? That kind of marketing is where people don't invest, underinvest, and because of that, the returns are high. And I'll tell you, that's one of the main reasons why we're switching to making our own sites rather than doing client work, actually, because it's it's very difficult to convince people. But like we do it on our sites and it works. It's just like it's hard to convince people, you know? <laughs> Heck yeah. All right. So we've done all our pre-launch outreach. You know, people are ready to share it. Uh, they've prepared their buffer or Hootsuite or whatever they're using for social to share it. We're pressing the publish button. How do we go about social? Like any extra outreach we should do? Should we try to get on Reddit? And are we going to get flamed for self-promotion? Like, like what would be our plan to on the day of launch, basically? Yeah, I'm actually kind of a believer that launch day is when you collect on all the work that you've done in the past, but it is not a day for unusual amounts of amplification or, or pushes on your side. Like you could submit to Reddit or ask someone, you know, Hey, you know, you've got a Reddit account. It's relatively popular. You submitted a bunch of good stuff. If you think this is cool, would you submit it? And if you don't think it's cool, please tell us why. Right. So I think those kinds of things are fine, but I wouldn't go out of my way the day of the day of launch. I, I would have a slow burn campaign around that content, though. Right. Which means I pay attention to people who ask particular kinds of questions on Twitter, on Quora. I am a member of this Facebook group that talks about men's fashion. I'm in the subreddit about men's fashion. And so as stuff comes up, right? I might be like, you know, Reddit is a good example of this. I would try and do it in a very non-promotional way. So it's six weeks after launch, someone's asking about neckwear issues. And you're like, actually, we, we made this kind of cool interactive graphic thing for bow ties versus neckties and like styles to wear with different kinds of suits and, and shirts and that kind of thing. Here's, I made a little imger link. So because I didn't want to link directly to the URL, which by the way, is XYZ, if you want to type it in, 
but like no live link. Mm-hmm. Here's the Imgur thing so you can see what it looks like. And I'll link to Imgur instead because I know that's kind of Reddit protocol. And so that might be a comment that I would leave. And then all the people who are checking out that thread would see that in there. And, you know, hopefully that would do well. And I would try not to, I would try to be non-self-promotional, but just information and value giving in that way. That's how you do it network by network, you know, person by person, process by process. And maybe you just say, hey, 30 minutes of every day, I'm going to monitor all these sites, see if there's anything relevant, jump in and contribute when when I can. So it's more of a slow burn, everyday task rather than like, let's just do a big launch day. Yeah, totally. Right. Like, you know, some of the things that I do and have done for years is I have alerts set up. You know, I, I use Moz's tool, the FreshWeb Alerts thing, but you could use Google Alerts or Mention.net or whatever. But I get my FreshWeb Alert for pages that mention my name but don't link to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, you know, if the source is important enough, I see it in there. I'll jump in and be like, yo, over here. <laughs> right. Like, so- appreciate the... The mention, here's my blog if you want to actually check out the thing that the person in the article was talking about. Or I'll drop that personal line or tweet at them and say like, hey, thanks for using this image from my blog. You didn't link to the post. Here it is if you feel like it. Cool. So everyone that's listening, if you want to start talking to Ren, just start blogging about him. Yeah. <laughs> or tweeting at me or whatever. Yeah, right? like, you're pretty easy to reach. <laughs> yeah, I'm easy to reach. Okay, so um, like one thing I wanted to ask is, uh, should we look into paid exposure, like Facebook, StumbleUpon, Outbrain, Twitter ads, that kind of stuff? Like, what's your take on these things? Is that is still in bar marketing? Yeah, I think it is valuable once you've proved to yourself the customer lifetime value and the conversion rate as well as the visitor path, right? The, the path to conversion. Mm-hmm. So if this is our first piece of content and our first project and you know we haven't really launched all this stuff yet, then no, I would not do it. I would generally consider that to be not a good use of funds. However, if we launch this piece and we launch the next piece and the third piece, we look back at these two big content pieces and we're like, okay, look, over the course of six visits, you know, which included like a retargeting pixel we were able to drop and included, you know, some searches and that kind of stuff. We were able to show that basically by spending almost no money, maybe, you know, a few dollars on retargeting, a few dollars on PPC, we could capture 5% of the people who visited the piece and left and bring them back to our site and turn 20% of the people who did return to the site into eventual converting customers. And the customer lifetime value for us is you know, $700. So we know that we can spend X amount on amplification. And if we get people to the content and we can get them back at a rate that's half of the organic acquisition rate, we're going to be ROI positive. Let's go spend some dollars there. But until you have those numbers, I wouldn't do it. Cool. Spend it in research instead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, spend research, you know, spend it on product, right? Uh Yeah. Still make some new relationships with designers, you know, let's hire some people, that kind of thing. Cool. I like it. Now, here's a question where we might have different opinions, which is how do we go about converting people that visit that content? We've created that amazing piece. Like, how should we try to get emails? Should we try to transform it into, like, you know, social followers, etc.? How would you go about trying to do that? I like to be subtle, but I actually like pursuing all of the angles that you've described. So some of it is direct, Mm -hmm. meaning in the piece itself, I think it's totally legitimate to say, you know, here's this distribution of bow ties versus neckties and different kinds of outfits and that kind of stuff. And 
you know, in a little paragraph, a little um, parentheses below, be like, P.S., we actually have some very cool bow ties and neckties by, you know, local South African designers or local Seattle, Washington designers. And you can click that link and go check them out. I think that's totally fine to include in the guide. I also think it's fine if, you know, someone gets through one section of the guide down at the bottom to have something that's like an email capture mm-hmm. or a, a sign up to comment or log in or whatever it is. And I think it's totally legit to nudge people to follow you on social networks. Although generally speaking, your content that you put on social will do a better job of that than anything else. Yeah. Cool. So like you're not against things like it's pretty popular right now, content upgrades and that kind of things. Well, basically, we could create an extra PDF that's like maybe the this year's fashion of bow ties where people could download it for their email and so on at the end of the bow tie section, for example. You'd be cool with that, right? Yeah, I think I think so long as you do it in a good way. But my one issue with that is I would really want to test that. So I would want to mm. say like, hey, let's have a few sections where we offer that for free. You don't have to do anything. And a few sections where we put it behind an email wall or whatever. And then let's go see. Like, let's validate for sure that the email capture is actually truly more valuable to us than the higher rate of visibility and all the social amplification and SEO power and all that kind of stuff that we get from putting it out there for free. Cool. That makes sense, actually. Just taste everything. It's just like probably something we couldn't do initially until we get caught a bit of traffic. Well, so certainly one way you could test it, right? If you're talking about multiple sections of the guide, Mm -hmm. you can make a couple of them behind an email wall. So it's like download our advanced guide to bow ties behind an email wall and check out our recommended jeans brands by price point, And that's totally free. Cool. Okay. So I like it. Test one against another, see how they perform, that kind of thing. Cool. Is there any way we can get people to share that content more? Any mechanics that you know of? Or like, I, I don't want to call it a tip, but like, you know, like just good practices that get more shares, you know? I think certainly I have seen some of the like, you know, embedded tweets, like tweet this, a specific sentence or call out, that kind of thing. I think those work okay. It depends on your audience. And then the thing that I would say that definitely works well is if you make some social optimized images that work well in the in the Facebook cards and Twitter cards and you know Google Plus cards and that kind of thing so that when people do share it on the network the you know the snippet that that little visual and the text in there is just really compelling you know that's kind of like an ad that you're crafting for people to organically share so that's definitely important and then having great visuals that people do find and want to share. I think a lot of times when people are creating content, they go overly professional and underwhelmingly inauthentic with visuals. And, and I think that you can actually be pretty amateur with your visuals, but if they feel authentic, if they feel very homegrown, unique, they sort of share a data or a data or a viewpoint that is hard to find anywhere else on the web. That can really resonate with folks. Actually, you know, we run a lot of Pinterest stuff. And actually, yeah. my suggestion would have been Pinterest buttons on the images. Um, sure. But we run a lot of Pinterest stuff. And it's funny because we have a designer and I am the worst Photoshop person you will ever meet. <laughs> and the funny thing is, my graphics very often outperform the designer's graphics. Right? Uh, because because it's just like information. It's about what's inside rather than like how it's designed. Yep. And, uh, totally. And, like, I have a page on, like, our health site that has, like, 
45,000 repins or something, just because I literally took a bunch of recipes and make a, a, a really horrible infographic out of it. And that really works well. So I totally agree with you on the amateurish design. It's more about, like, it's more about making explainer graphics, I feel, than it is about having an amazing corporate design kind of thing. Yep. I, I think there's something to the authenticity piece of content. And if your visuals are also beautiful and very professional, that can work even better. But you can be amateurish and, and succeed pretty well with uh, as long as those visuals convey something authentic. Yeah, I totally agree. So yeah, I for that guy, my personal preference for social sharing would be like taking all the images and making sure they're Pinterest friendly and have a pin button when you hover your mouse over them, you know, because... Uh, the one thing I might point out to you, though, is that uh, Pinterest has a very low percent of male users. Yeah, um, true, actually. Male, true, true. So for men's fashion, we it might work because maybe the, the 10% of men who are on Pinterest are like our target market anyway. Yeah. But we should just validate that. Fair enough. That's a good point, actually. I didn't think about that. Cool. So, like, that's the last section I want to talk about now. And I think we talked a little bit about it, but what would we do to keep that piece of content living? Because we spend so much time on it. I don't want it to die off in two months, you know? Yeah. So how do we keep it living? I think there's two things you can do. One is you sort of have, like, an annual or biennial update that you know you're going to do. So we do this with Moz with a number of our guides and and big resources, things where we're like every two years we rerun all this data and we rerun this opinion collection and we aggregate it and we, you know, produce the the new ranking factors every two years or the industry survey, which we do every other year. And so that's one way to go. And then the other way to go is more to say, we're going to make the entire thing or sections of it intentionally updated and update worthy, right? So like in our list of jeans brands that we recommend, we will have new ones that we add in every time a new brand of jeans comes out or a new style that we check out, we'll add that to the list. And then we can tweet about it or put it on Facebook and be like, hey, you know, this month Gap came out with a new line, its first new line of jeans in two years. We reviewed them all and added them to our database. You can now find it here, right? Mm. Any other promotion we do when we update the content? I think you can, you know, along with the the sort of social sharing and some of that, Mm -hmm. uh, you can reach back out to some of those influencers, especially if there's like the blogger for Gap, right? You said, hey, dude, I know we chatted a few months ago and, you know, you weren't really interested in contributing this guide. I just want to let you know that now Gap stuff is featured in there. Mm. And it's like, oh, well, that guy's going to pay attention. Yeah, I promise they will pay attention because it's their stuff. Yeah, they can show it to the manager or their boss, you know. it's uh... Right, Right. so anytime you make someone else look good with your content, make sure you're reaching out to them, make sure you're showing them. You know, somebody else produces something awesome in your field and you want to go update your guide with that piece of information and link off to them and include a visual from from their work and, you know, call them out, let them know, right? Be like, hey, man. I wanted to include you in our guide. I love this piece that you wrote. Would that be cool by you? And if they say, great, you go ahead and do that. And then you get back to them and are like, hey, awesome. And by the way, we're sharing it on social. Here's the Facebook post and here's the you know, tweet and here's the Pinterest pin. And you know, thanks again. Yeah, cool. I think we're done brainstorming that piece of content. I hope you had a little bit of fun doing it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting, interesting exercise for sure. Yeah, I thought it was more interesting to go for something practical and see how you really think and how you guys really plan your content 
rather than asking you, you know, what's the next trend for 2015, which is a great post you did, but I don't want to do it again in audio format, you know? So thank you very much, Brent, for joining. It's been really insightful. It actually shows that there's no magic behind creating big content and getting links for it. It really is how you do it. A lot of people, you know, just, just put that mystical mist around it where it's like something magical that gets you a lot of links instantly and so on. But I think that was, uh, we did a good job at demystifying everything. So yeah. thank you for that. Do you want to tell people where they can follow up with you and where they can, you know, read your blog and so on? Sure. Yeah. So um, I have a personal blog at moz.com slash Rand. And I also write for the, the main Moz blog at, at moz.com slash blog. And then uh, the social network where I'm most active for sure is Twitter. I'm at Randfish. Cool. Any final words? Yeah, I, I really appreciate you having me on, man. This was, uh, this was tons of fun. And hopefully folks learned a lot and, and will have some great feedback for us. Cool. Thank you very much, Ren. All right. That was the interview with Ren. I hope you got a lot out of the interview and that you have a better idea on how you can create big pieces of content that will generate a lot of attraction to your site initially. And if you're working on a budget, that's probably one of the best things you can do. Obviously, it will take time. It will take effort and sweat. But you can't really have everything. You can't have a lot of traffic, no money to spend for it and not work for it. So if you are more on the having time side of things, I absolutely recommend you follow that tactic. If you're more on the having money type of thing, well, you can spend money on advertising and build an audience that way, but it really depends on what your priorities are. If you like that podcast, don't forget to rate us on iTunes because that really helps us grow the podcast, grow Authority Hacker, and just justify the time spent on creating that podcast. Also, if you want to download the step-by-step process we just talked about in that interview, go on authorityhacker.com slash rent. You can download a beautiful PDF with every step outlined so that you know what to do when you want to create big content. I'll see you in the next podcast. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.